0: It's Daily Thunder, booming out the truth of Jesus Christ live every weekday morning from the Ellerslie campus in Windsor, Colorado. To learn more, visit ellerslie.com. Well, I'm so excited to get into this study with you here in Ephesians chapter 4. We're looking at this idea of God's calling in our life. And just to set the stage, I want to read again Ephesians chapter 4 verse 1 to kind of lay the foundation for where we're going to be heading. Here's what Paul writes, He says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling with which you have been called. Do you realize that there is a calling in your life with which you have been called? And I love the fact that in this passage, there's really two words that Paul is using for calling. Again, he says, the calling, klesis, with which you have been called, kaleo. So he's using two words in the Greek for this idea of calling. You have been called to a calling. So I wanna look at the actually the second word, that you are called. That word in the Greek is kaleo. It means to bid, to invite, to name, to summon, or to call aloud. And the idea is to be subject to an authoritative demand for one's presence and or participation. This word is actually the root word For the word implore in other words when you look at this idea that i beseech you or i implore you i exhort you the root of that is actually this word it's this idea of beckoning this idea of calling here's the idea and it probably sounds a little intense but this invitation is kind of like a thumb in the back in other words you are a servant of the king of kings and he is summoning your participation in something and that something is your calling But here's what's interesting. The intensity of the invitation is based on the character of the one who is summoning. In other words, again, this idea of calling is to beckon, to call, to beseech. But the idea is is that here's this king, and he looks and says, Hey, I have a servant. Go get my servant. Summon him to my presence. You realize that that summoning, even though it is a thumb in the back, and that servant is required to come before the king, The reality is, is the intensity or the way you would understand that summons is all based upon the character of the one who has called you. In other words, if you have a bad king, if you have a mean, nasty God, and he says, hey, I demand, hey, I'm calling you, get over here. Well, you would come with great trembling and fear. Why? Because you have a bad king. But think about this our god as we mentioned in the last study is a good master he is a good lord he is a great shepherd and as such when he calls us when he beckons us do you realize it's done out of a position of love and great mercy and kindness which means there is nothing to fear we can boldly approach the throne room of grace so when paul says you have a calling He is presuming, you know, the character of the one who has called you, that he is saying, look, the God of the universe, the one who has given all things that you might have life. He gave his most precious thing, his son, so that you might be redeemed. And because he is a God of great mercy and love and kindness and goodness, that God has beckoned you and called you and summoned you. So yeah, though there is a fear of the Lord that we must approach with a with a fear and a reverence and an awe, there is a confidence in how we can approach God because He loves us immensely. And that encourages me. I have a calling on my life, and the one who has called me is good. So I do not need to fear my calling. I, I do not need to walk in with trepidation or fear or trembling or worry or concern. I need to trust in the one who has called me. Now, what has he called me to? Paul says that there is a calling in your life, that you've been called to this calling. And that word calling has this idea of, again, a calling or an invitation or a position. Now, let me explain what this is not. Uh, When I was graduating from seminary, it's interesting you know, whenever you get to those graduation moments, whether it's high school or college or or some other degree program, people just start asking you the same crazy questions. Things like, all right, so uh, what are you going to be doing? And, you know, what, what what's the plan? And where are you heading? And what's God's calling on your life? In fact, I was getting those questions so often. I, I wanted to make like a t-shirt that was like, yep, no, nope, I don't know. Quit asking, you know, and I could just kind of point to one, you know? And it's interesting that I had all these friends at seminary who had a distinct calling of God on their life. Uh, you would walk up to them and say, hey, what is God's calling for your life? And they'd say, oh, I, I'm called to be a missionary to this country and this people group. Or I'm called to be a pastor and, and I know I'm supposed to be in this city and, and to this church. And, or hey, I know that God has equipped me to be an evangelist and here I'm, here's my plan. and That's not this word. It's interesting, people would ask me that same question as I was getting ready to graduate seminary, and they say, hey, what's God's calling on your life? And, and I, I didn't know. I was just trying to walk in obedience to the best I knew. And, and so just almost as a joke one day, I, I said, Jesus. <laughs> and they're like, yeah, 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 Jesus is our calling. I understand that. No, what, what is your calling? And the more I thought about it, the more I was like, no, actually, actually, this is good. Jesus is my calling he is that which i'm called to think about this paul is writing that you have a calling with which you've been called well what calling is that yes you may be called to be a teacher or a plumber or a circus clown or whatever it is that you may do and there there is that kind of calling throughout scripture in other words there are there are several and probably numerous instances throughout the throughout the bible where god gives specific calling to individuals God called Paul to be the apostle to the Gentiles. He called Moses to be the deliverer to the people of Israel. So as you're walking through scripture, that kind of calling is in scripture. And it's good and it is godly and praise the Lord for those kind of callings. And if you have a very distinct calling, well, run in that. But that's not what Paul's talking about here. This kind of calling is is not so much a profession or a vocation or a duty or an obligation. Rather, the calling with which he's talking about here, well, let me give you this idea. Again, this word calling, Clasis, comes from the same root word as our previous word calling, that you've been called. So that root word is is kind of the root of this. And this word calling is used 11 times in the New Testament. And here's what's fascinating. Every time that it is used, it is something bigger than a profession or something that I do. Uh, Two times it's very specific in the context of salvation, and the other nine times, though it is mentioned in this idea of salvation, it's this broad, grand concept. In fact, as you begin to walk through this idea of calling, this particular idea of calling, what you get is it's really what Paul's been talking about in the first three chapters of Ephesians, that it's that idea of being in Christ and the infilling of the Holy Spirit and walking in relationship and intimacy with the living God. In other words, the calling with which you have been called is actually a person whose name is Jesus, that he is your calling, which makes sense. Uh, we, We mentioned this previously, but when you look at chapters one through three, 30 times in those first three chapters, Paul is talking about the fact that you are in him and in whom and in Christ, that that is your position that you are to be seated in, never to get up from that position. And as he moves here in chapters four through six, he's saying, let me describe what that looks like practically in your life. So he, as he begins to develop this idea of the practicality of in Christ, it would make sense then. in the first verse, he says, all right, you have a calling in your life with which you've been called. Walk in that reality. Well, what has he been talking about for three whole chapters in terms of the calling with which you've been called? Jesus that he is the fullness of life, that everything that you need for life and godliness is found in Christ Jesus. He is your calling. Now, that to me is so brilliant because it removes a lot of pressure on my life. In other words, yes, God does, does give specific calling to individuals. But what if the primary calling in my life was Jesus? And yes, I may have a variety of functions and and jobs and and professions throughout that, but what if my singular calling never changed? Let me explain why I think this is so significant. If I see my primary calling as preaching, then what happens, say in 20 years, if I get cancer of the throat and I can no longer speak? If if I'm unable to communicate, well, what does that say about my calling that God's called me to? Well, I'm called to be a preacher. So how am I gonna preach if I can't talk? And what then does it say about my calling? So ponder this. What if, though I may be functioning as a preacher and though I may have a specific calling as a preacher, what if my primary calling was Jesus? And that I, as we've been talking about in the first several studies, what, what if I was surrendered? What if I saw myself as a prisoner and a servant of the King of Kings? What if I was at his disposal? Do you realize what that changes? That if Jesus is my calling, yes, he may have me as a preacher, but if I get cancer of the throat and I can't talk, that, that doesn't change my calling. It'll change what I do and how I function in my calling of Christ. But the reality is, is he is still my calling. Do you realize that you have a distinct calling on your life? Yes, he may give you a specific thing to do, like teach or be a plumber or be a preacher or a missionary, But you have a very distinct calling in your life, and that is to embrace and to know and get all wrapped up in relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. Now, let me just kind of show you how this word calling, um, we're not going to go through all 11 instances in scripture, but let me just give you a couple of these of where they show up and how it kind of presses this idea of not just a profession or a vocation or a duty or an obligation. But the calling is ultimately God himself. This is what Ephesians chapter 1 verse 18 says. Paul writes, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you would know what is the hope of his calling and what are the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. Now, if you want to go back and listen to that study from several studies ago, I would encourage you to do that. But if you remember, the whole heart of what Paul is praying in Ephesians chapter 1 is Well, that you get all wrapped up in Jesus. And Paul says there is a hope of the calling, not a hope that you get a calling. So in other words, this is not Christmas morning. Oh, I really hope to get a toy truck. It's not that kind of hope. What Paul is saying is you have a calling and that calling produces an unshakable hope. Could you imagine walking through life like that? That you know that there's a distinct calling in your life And that calling produces the hope that we need to live each and every single day. Oh, what would that do to our living if we had that kind of confidence? Because we had him as our calling. Here's what second Thessalonians chapter one, verse 11 and 12 says, Paul writes to this end also, we pray for you always that our God will count you worthy of your calling. And fulfill every desire for goodness and the work of faith with power. So that, here's the purpose, so that the name of our Lord Jesus will be glorified in you and you in him. According to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. So again, Paul says that you are to be counted worthy of this calling so that Christ will be magnified. Do you realize that Christ is not magnified by our discipline and our religious legalism and obligation. Our God is glorified when we surrender ourselves to him and let him use our life as a vessel through which he can show forth his grandeur and greatness and glory and truth. Yes, I am participating. So we're not talking about passivity. I'm not just sitting back saying, all right, God, do whatever you want with me. And I guess I'll just kind of be there when you need me. The reality is, is I'm partnering with him. I'm leaning in. I'm in this dance, if you want to use an illustration, with god and saying god you use me but what if the calling on our lives was actually him and showcasing him in and through our lives regardless of what our profession is regardless of what our functioning calling may be as an evangelist or a missionary or a plumber or a teacher we need jesus as the primary here's what second timothy chapter 1 verse 8 and 9 says Therefore, do not be ashamed of the testimony of our Lord or of me, His prisoner, but join with me in suffering for the gospel according to the power of God, who has saved us and called us with a holy calling, not according to our works, but according to His own purpose and grace, which was granted to us in Christ Jesus from all eternity. Paul saying that there is a holy calling, there's a spiritual calling, In our lives, a calling that is set apart that has been established for all eternity. What is that calling? It's Jesus. He is our calling. And here's what Philippians chapter 3 says. In Philippians 3, starting verse 10, Paul says that his goal or his desire is that I may know Christ and the power of his resurrection and the fellowship of his sufferings being conformed to his death in order that I may attain the resurrection from the dead. Not that I've already obtained it or have already become perfect, but I press on so that I may lay hold, which means to seize or to grab a hold of, that for which also I was laid a hold of by Christ Jesus. Brethren, I do not regard myself as having laid hold of it yet, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and reaching forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Paul says that our upward call of God is in Christ Jesus. He is that calling. And I love what Paul says. It's this idea of that, that almost that paradox of the now and not yet. That uh, That I have some of it. I have something, but I don't have the fullness of it. And I'm pressing on to grab the wholeness, but as I'm pressing in, I have something and It's a fun paradox to ponder. So it's like I have the calling, but I don't have the fullness of the calling. I'm laying hold of Jesus Christ, but he's laying hold of me. And yet wouldn't it be neat if I just keep pressing into Jesus? Wouldn't it just be phenomenal if, if I just get all wrapped up in him? Here's the idea. Your calling is all about Jesus and embracing him in intimacy. It's that idea of the indwelling life of Christ. that that it's his spirit that lives inside of me, and that I am having intimacy and relationship and communion with the living God, and I am merely surrendered and abiding and dependent upon him, and he gets to use my life however he chooses. And I'm just saying, yes, I'm in. Yes, Lord, I'm I'm all for you. Whatever you want to do, I'm in. I say, yes. Well, let me give you two quick pictures. Uh, When you look at this idea of calling, It's really fascinating that there's these two pictures that come from antiquity that really, in my mind, help us understand what does it mean when it says that God has called us. So here are the two pictures. Number one is the giving of a name. When you look at how this word kleisis and "kaleo" are used, uh, even specifically in the Old Testament, again, when you look at the Greek translation uh, of the Old Testament, you find that that word calling shows up almost 700 times throughout the Old Testament. And the way it's often used is, for example, in Genesis chapter 1, it says that God made the light, and he called the day, day. And he called the darkness, night. Uh, You have this idea that as he's walking through the creation story, God's naming things. Uh, Again, he calls the grass, all this kind of stuff. Adam, when when all the animals are brought before Adam, he gives each animal a a name. It's this word. So you get this idea that uh, when when Jacob is traveling around and he comes to a new place and he has an encounter with God, he gives that place a new name. So the giving of a name is actually this idea of calling that when I call for something and there's a calling, there's a giving of a name. Now I find that really interesting because the moment you give something a name, again, you're going back to this idea of relationship with that. So if, if I have a location in my life, that I've renamed the location, what means I have a relationship with that location? Maybe a better illustration is think of people in your life of whom you have a pet name. Uh, You see this all the time in relationships and I I just find it hilarious. Uh, You have this young married man and a young married woman and they're looking lovingly in each other's eyes and rather than call call each other by their real name, they give each other pet names. And I have to admit, they're a little awkward, you know, like, hey, pookie and hey, cupcake. And I made a short list of ones I could think of. Uh, Not that I've ever used these. Just want to (laughs) clarify. But here's some that I've heard over the years uh, from other conversations. Uh, Lovey, cupcake, darling, honey, muffin, sugar, plum, deer. And isn't it interesting that so many of these are food? I mean, (laughs) that's kind of disturbing to me, actually. But think about this. When we're in relationship with one another, we, we tend to give each other fun names. Think of a best friend. A lot of times you may shorten their name or you actually just come up with a whole different name. Uh, I had a season where one of my best friends, I just called him brosif Like he was my friend, but he was kind of like my brother and he was just the Brosif. And where that came, I have no idea. Uh, my good friend, Eric Ludi often calls me Turkey, which is not really the best name, but it's an endearing title for me that he'll come and say, hey, hey, turkey. And I'm like, hey. <laughs> but that, it's, it's, it's a sign of endearment. It's a sign of friendship because there's relationship involved. So whether it's between a husband and a wife or between a uh, young guy and a young gal or whether it's between best friends or whether it's just family members where you just kind of give each other names, you realize it's a sign of relationship and intimacy. So you have a calling on your life. And a part of that calling is this picture of a giving of a name. Wouldn't it be neat to realize that God has given us that same thing? That he's inviting us into a relationship. And because the calling is himself, there is a bestowing of a name upon our lives. In fact, that's what Revelation chapter 2 verse 17 even says. Jesus is talking to the church in Revelation. and He says, he who has an ear, let him hear what the spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, to him I will give some of the hidden manna. And I will give him a white stone and a new name written on that stone, which no one knows but he who receives it. Did you catch that? That God is giving us a white stone and upon that stone there is a name written that nobody else knows. In other words, God has a special name for you. That when you are a believer and he has called you into this calling of relationship, he bestows a name. And I thought, wouldn't it be fun? I'm quite confident that when we get into eternity, uh, you know, we we have like this presentation day where Jesus will come up and say, oh, you ready for your name? And he's going to share our special name with us. He'll probably whisper it in our ears. Again, I have no biblical proof of this, so I'm making a big presumption. But if he has a name for us that nobody else knows, I'm presuming because we're in relationship with him, we at one point are going to find out what our special name is. In fact in revelation chapter 19 jesus has a name that nobody knows except the father so even the intimacy that jesus has with the father is so intimate and so close that jesus has a special name that the father has for him and wouldn't it be amazing and i i've I've prayed this so often lord can i be so intimate and so close and so wrapped up in you this side of heaven that somehow i just I just begin to hear you whisper my name, that, that somehow I just begin to hear just that soft whispering in my soul saying, oh, here is my name. Here's my identity, my declaration in your life. Such a beautiful thought. Again, there's this idea of calling with the bestowing of a name. And maybe if you want one other quick illustration with this, it's this idea of look at the Song of Solomon. Isn't it neat that here's Solomon the groom. And he's writing to this woman who is called often the Shulamith. <laughs> which, is, which is not the greatest or rom, most romantic term. It is it's actually kind of miserable. I think that's what Charles Spurgeon said. He goes, the, the translation Shulamith is quite undelightful. What's interesting is when you look at it in the Hebrew, Solomon, who is the groom, is writing to what in the Hebrew is actually the feminine version of the word Solomon. He is Solomon or Salomo. And he's writing to Solima or Solima. In other words, the woman bears his name. So as the groom invites the woman into relationship with him and they get married, he's actually bestowing his name upon her. And she takes and bears his name. And if you understand the ancient culture, a name isn't just a name. A name was symbolic of nature and character and, and attribute. So when... For example, when we get married, the woman will take on the name of her groom. She becomes Mrs. and then his last name. And again, it's not just merely the last name. It's his reputation and it's his character. It's his nature that she now bears. Ponder this. We bear the name of our king. We are known as Christians. We are the ones who bear and reflect his character to the world. That when the world sees us, well, they should see him. Isn't that a beautiful thought there's a calling on your life and as a part of that calling you have the opportunity to get wrapped up in relationship and intimacy with the king of kings and as such you become the one who bears his name you have a special name that has been given well that's one of the pictures of this idea of calling well the second one is the invitation to a banquet i find it interesting that when you look at the greek word for this idea of calling one way that is often used is this invitation to a banquet. Now, in the ancient days, banquets were so full of symbolism and meaning. In other words, just the fact that you were invited was really significant because there's a lot of people out there who were not invited. So just being invited means that you were privileged, that you were something, that there was a relationship with, between you and the host. But not only the fact that you were invited, but where you sat at the table was really significant. If you remember Jesus' parable, he made the segment, hey, when you come to a banquet party, don't just presume you're the honored guest and go to the very front head of the table and just sit right next to the host. Rather, take the low position so he can call you up. And again, it's going based on that cultural understanding in the Middle East, that if you were invited to a banquet, hey, at least you are invited, but the most important seats were closer to the head of the table. And so the host would have the VIP seats right next to him and then eventually, way on down, well, at least you're invited. But even those two seats on the right and the left that were closest to the host, even those were distinguished because typically the one on the right received the most food as the VIP of the VIPs. Do you realize that there's a calling idea associated with the banquet? That there's a calling of the banquet. There's an invitation into the intimacy of a banquet. And the whole banquet symbolism is all about Well, how intimate or how important or how relational are we with that host? So if Jesus is my calling and there is an invitation to the banquet, where do you think he's going to sit us? Not just near the head of the table. In fact, Paul makes it very clear in chapter 2 of Ephesians that I am seated in Christ. I don't know about you, but I don't think there's any way to get any closer to the head of the table than actually sitting in Jesus in his seat. Do you realize that there's been an invitation? There's been a bec- beckoning into this party, this, this festival, this banquet of relationship. I-, I love what Song of Solomon says. In Song of Solomon 2.4, this is what Salima, the Shulamith, says to her groom, or speaking of her groom. She says, he has brought me to his banquet table, and his banner over me is love. Do you realize that you have been invited into something? You have been invited in to a calling. He has bestowed a special name upon you and he's invited you into this banquet of intimacy where, where you get to sit, not just at a VIP seat next to the host, you get to actually have in Christ seating that the very head of the table where Christ sits, you get to be in him. In fact, he spreads his banner over you, which declares love. Do you realize this whole thing is about Jesus? This whole thing is getting wrapped up in intimacy and relationship with the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. So let me summarize it this way. Jesus has a calling in your life. And yes, though, you may be called to be a plumber or a circus clown or a teacher or a missionary and evangelist. The reality is those are secondary to the primary calling in your life, which is himself. Would you embrace that calling? Would you go after him? Will you just get crazy about one thing, which is the calling in your life? You have been called to a holy calling and that calling has been established from eternity past. God wants relationship with you. Will you embrace him? Well, in that note, let me just pray a blessing upon each of us that that reality, that calling will be true and ever growing in our lives. Uh, Lord, we love you. Oh, thank you that you have called us to a holy calling. And Lord, that calling isn't just a work. It's not just a vocation. It's not just a duty. It's not a, all right, it's a nine to five. Grit your teeth, pull this off. Lord, the reality is you have called us to yourself. And even more than just merely salvation, though that is so phenomenal. Salvation is merely the doorway into the reality of our calling because our calling is intimacy and knowing the King of kings and the Lord of lords. So, Lord, I pray that for everyone who is listening, listening, oh, God, could we embrace you as our calling. May we get wrapped up in relationship and intimacy. May we know you more and more each day. And, Lord, I pray that as we get to know you, somehow in the midst of that relationship and intimacy, oh, could you whisper our secret special name? Lord, would you let us realize that you have invited us into a banquet of intimacy? You have places at your in your seat, in you, and you put a banner over us declaring love. Lord, what an amazing reality that we have to walk, in holiness, in righteousness, in truth, in purity, in joy, because we have you. So Lord, don't let us grab a hold of something and miss you in the process. Would you, oh God, Be the foundation and the focus of our calling. We love you. We give you all the praise and the glory in your precious, powerful name. Amen. Daily Thunder is a listener-supported production of Ellerslie Discipleship Training. At Ellerslie, we are laboring to rouse the Church of Jesus Christ out of its lethargy and build brave-hearted Christians for such a time as this. Daily Thunder episodes are released every day, Monday through Friday, from our campus in Windsor, Colorado. And our weekly sermon is delivered live at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings with a delayed live stream available at noon Mountain Time. Go to ellerslie.com forward slash daily to get all the details. Thanks for listening.